Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It's Friday, January 28th. It's a snowy Friday here in Indianapolis and cold. It's very cold out. Streets are slick. And so we have a real authentic winter day in Indiana. Finally, it's our first one. Uh, I would like to start off by thanking the listeners for taking time to listen to the show and also remind them they can subscribe to this Apple podcast where you get an email every time we do a show and you don't have to miss any episodes. Uh, this is our 11th year for our show. We've been doing this for 11 years and we would like to thank the Apple folks at Apple for uh, sponsoring this uh, podcast with Apple and we're very appreciative of that. Um, today we have a couple of really, really special guests. Um, they're special because uh, I've known them a long, long time, longer than it seems now, right? <laughs> so uh, we've been friends, uh, the three of us, for a long, long time. And they're very, really great, great teachers and professors and writers. And uh, they're just a, a great example for the profession and all the great things they do for world language. And uh, so I'm going to introduce them without further delay. And I'm going to tell you that uh, uh, the first person I'm going to introduce is Juan Pablo Rodriguez. Uh, that's Juan Pablo, and then the second person is going to be Alex Quintanilla. Okay, Juan Pablo. We're coming to Juan Pablo first, and then when he gets through answering some of the discussions, questions, etc., Alex will uh, follow and give you some more in-depth things and include uh, his uh, life experiences as well. Thank you both for being here. We are honored to have you on the show. You've been uh, very faithful. We had you a long time ago on the show, I believe what, seven or eight years ago, maybe. It's been a while. And uh, there aren't many people, there's some, but we don't always ask people back, you know. And uh, we were very pleased with our last show that we had uh, years back with uh, you guys. Um, now, can you tell everybody, Juan Pablo, a little about what you teach and where, and um, also your experience teaching in some of the places that you've taught at? Mm-hmm. By the way, um, it's, it, by the way, everybody, it's Doctor Juan Pablo Rodriguez and Doctor Alex Quintanilla. I don't want to forget that. Okay, excuse uh-huh. me. All right. Okay. Hi. Uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, nice. Uh, thanks for the invitation um, to the podcast again. So yes, um, as you mentioned, um, uh, I started here since uh, 2002, doing a master's in Tisville and then a PhD in Hispanic linguistics. Uh, at Florida, and after that, then I started right away teaching uh, first uh, Spanish at Ball State University for one year, and then right after that to Butler University, uh, first as an instructor and then as a tenure track line, uh, always teaching classes of uh, Spanish, uh, beginning, intermediate, composition, speaking, and of course in linguistics, which is an, in my area of concentration, which I really love to, to teach. So courses in pronunciation, uh, second language acquisition, uh, morphosyntax or structure of Spanish, history of the language, and, and, and much more. So, yeah. Alex? Hi, uh, thanks uh, for inviting me to. Uh, it's nice to be here again. And I'm a, an associate professor at Butler University. Uh, I have also been in the United States since 2002, uh, started teaching uh, during my master's degree, and then uh, during my PhD, 
and I came to Butler in 2009, and since then I've been in charge of the linguistics program, uh, or the linguistics classes at Butler University, and my uh, field of study is social linguistics, so I do more uh, research on native speakers in Latin America or Spain, and I try to teach these type of classes uh, here at Butler. So, um, where did you study at Juan Pablo when you were doing your university work? Mm -hmm. So, the study, uh, uh, the BA was in Valladolid uh, in Spain. Uh, English philology was the uh, area of study. And right after that, it was um, West Virginia University doing the master's in teach TESOL, teaching English for students of other languages and then uh, University of Florida at Gainesville, um, doing the PhD for Hispanic linguistics. And the concentration there, it was um, Spanish uh, second language acquisition. So that would be like, those would be like the main three uh, universities. And, and I really like the, you know, changing places because you have a different perspective and different methodologies, uh, expectations and, and work. Um, uh, the way they, they instruct, so I really like that variety of changing places what, for what, education. Yeah. What did you uh, study in Valladolid? Did you did you do Spanish there, linguistics, or no? It was English philology, English, so it was more yeah. about yeah English grammar, English literature, translation. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, in, and Valladolid is a delightful place, isn't it? Very pretty. Uh, I yes. remember being there yes. once at Christmas. I was there at Christmas time once, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember the, the the Belen. You know, they had out there and on the on the plaza. Thing was huge. Plaza it was beautiful. Yes. Yeah, it was beautiful. The it was just beautiful, and uh, beautiful at Christmas time. Um, and um, Alex, now where did you do your work at? Yeah, I. I grew up in El Salvador and I studied a major in English too. But while I was doing my major in El Salvador, uh, I got a job uh, in a Spanish school where they taught Spanish to foreigners. So I wanted to teach English, but then I started teaching Spanish to people from many parts of the world. Then I realized I like teaching more Spanish than English. <laughs> So after that, I went to Spain and I did a master's at the Spanish Royal Academy and about the lexicography, which is the making of dictionary. And then after that, I came to the United States to study a master's degree in Spanish and then a PhD in Spanish English. Now, the Royal Academy, is that the one in Madrid? Yes, yes. So that's the one in, in the Barrio de Letras over there? Uh, no, it's actually it's next north. to the Museo del Prado. Okay, uh, okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, I got San you. Yeah, the Real yeah. Academia, that's, the, uh, that's up the hill there, right? Kind of up the hill. Yes. Above, yes. It's above yes. the Museo, right? Up the hill, kind of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, beside the San Jeronimo Church. There's another yes, church. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know. But it wasn't a very nice experience. No, it's it's rather it's old, right? It's an older building, and 
Uh, but yeah, a, a great, yeah. great location, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, you yeah, come yeah. down and you've got the Prado and you've got all the great uh, the, the uh, Fuentes, the Monumentos and all those, the Cosas. Yeah, that was good. Uh, so when you came then, you, you were at Florida, right? Florida, University of Florida, correct? West Virginia University and then, sorry. Yeah, West Virginia. So was West Virginia, did you find that challenging? It was no, it was a good experience. I like the experience. Uh, I think something good about El Salvador or the university where I studied in El Salvador is that many of my professors they studied in the United States. So the way of working was very similar uh, in El Salvador than done in the United States. Uh, we had a syllabus and a semester the semester were similar. So. I would say it was a, a good experience. Uh, I mean, you still learn many things because you're in a new environment. Yeah. That's a beautiful place, isn't it? West Virginia University. Very It's green. in the mountains. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah love my, it. Uh, my niece's daughter is in medical school there. Uh, mm -hmm. And she's uh, going to be a doctor. And I think she's in her second year now. Second or third year. And her husband is studying to be a dentist there in the dental school. And uh, they really like it. They like it a lot. You know, they speak really highly of it. Yeah. Um, so, um, Juan Pablo, what about your familia? Now, your family is in España. And can you tell us about your familia, etc.? Yeah, everyone is uh, in Spain. So I'm the only one who, uh, you know, is living abroad. Uh, yeah, it's my two parents. Uh, my father used to work at the FASA, which is part of the Renault. It's one of the factories for uh, cars, uh, which came to Valencia. It was uh, yeah, in, uh, close to Valencia. So that really helped for the city because otherwise it's a smaller city. And then I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. Um, and one of them is a police woman. Uh, I have another police uh, man, <laughs> so we have two police officers in the in the family, uh, and then my younger brother is uh, living in Barcelona. He's he's living there. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a big family with two with a nephew and a niece. Um, I remember several years ago you uh, we had met your family here in Indianapolis, and then we ended up visiting them in, uh, over near Palencia. And, and I remember they lived, they had a, they had a, it was like a ranch type place, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right, mm -hmm. right on the, uh, the Camino de, de Santiago, right? And it was beautiful, yes. beautiful place where they lived, just magnificent. And, uh, just wonderful people, just really, really nice people. And, uh, um, impressive the area you know the whole area was so beautiful um now alex what about el salvador now starting off and i know every time it seems like everything that hits the paper about el salvador is kind of a negative right like it's dangerous to go there but then i've heard lately it's not so dangerous is that correct yeah it's uh i think the good thing about the reputation that El Salvador has is that once you go, you probably get surprised because you expect to see something else. And that's what I see 
recently there's many uh, foreigners, Americans, Europeans going to El Salvador to explore new places and they usually say the same, they say, say the same uh, that we expect to see something else uh, it's an underrated country, blah blah blah. So uh, I've been going to El Salvador almost every year and recently probably almost every vacation. So uh, yeah, most of my all of my family lives there, so uh, I usually go very quickly. And yeah, it's a nice place and uh, very green with volcanoes, lakes, beaches. So it's it's not it's not political chaos like we're led to believe, right? No, it's, no. When you go there, it's, I was. I have traveled to other Latin American countries, and I would say there's no difference. And you see people on the street, their cell phones, laptops, cafes, Starbucks, uh, restaurants. Um, it's like a normal country, I would say, with a nice landscape. So, since you've been in Madrid a lot, right, and study there, of course, so if What's the difference in the Spanish in Madrid and El Salvador? I mean, as far as, uh, is there a, that big a difference, you think, or is it not so big? Yes, there is, because El Salvador has an accent more similar to the south of Spain uh, in, terms of, in terms of pronunciation, but then we, we still have other linguistic features that they are not using like we use both instead of two uh, some words have different meanings but in general we can understand each other right uh, but um, I would say they are like opposite accents or dialects so like Mexico and Madrid have more in common than El Salvador and Mexico okay um, so this um Juan Pablo, um, so you've been teaching a while, so what do you like best about teaching? What thing do you really enjoy about teaching? I, I just uh, enjoy talking about uh, anything that comes up in class in terms of your own culture and language, because you, you have your own plan and you talk uh, and you instruct them and see them grow, which is the part I like that, uh, for example, this academic year, I'm starting with the students in 101 in fall and I'm following up with some of them in 102. So it's really nice to see how they grow little by little. And then the little things that I mentioned in passing in the previous semester, now they are, already knowing that it should be that way. So for example, the other day in class, uh, we were seeing an expression with an infinitive, al llegar. So some students, uh, but, but the other, they have to conjugate other verbs in the, so some students and, and those who were in my previous section last semester, uh, they were looking you know, at the example and, and knowing that, you know, after a preposition, the infinitive, so they, they already know, they are making that connection and you see them, you know, that from not knowing that to to be able to say, oh, no, no, what they are writing now, it's, it's bad, it should be algebraic, not algebra or something like that. So you see them little by little, yeah, it's it's slow, but you see the, the change, so I, I like that. They're gaining confidence and they, they're 
able to express with better mm-hmm. accuracy uh, the information. But also, yeah, any moment that you are in class and then you can mention, oh, by the way, in my city, this is how we do it. Or, uh, you know, we usually eat lunch at two and we eat dinner in summer at 10 and they, they have like these big eyes like, why so late? <laughs> and you can explain, oh, because it's the, it's a, it's a, it's sunnier, you have a lot of sun during the day, so you can be very weird to eat at eight in the summer. Nobody would do it, not even at six. That would be horrible. It's like it's just for merienda. So, you know, all of these things that you can explain to them uh, is really nice. Um, and I, I just enjoy yeah, teaching. I think uh, I, I, I like that. And then, Alex, how about you on the what you like best yeah. about teaching? Um. Since I was uh, since I was little, I always liked languages in general, foreign languages, and I was very curious about other cultures and languages, and so and I also like linguistics, and so it's a topic that I enjoy talking about. I can speak about linguistics all uh, twenty four hours. <laughs> so uh, so that's why I love teaching because when when I'm in the classroom, I talk about Spanish linguistics and the different uh, cultures that we have in the Spanish world, the different dialects, food, because uh, many people think that like Latin America is very similar or they see it like one country when it's actually different worlds. Even for me, coming from El Salvador to Guatemala is just another world. So I like speaking about that, that's interesting, uh, that, that the, the difference just between countries, one country with another, you know, be it El Salvador and Guatemala or El Salvador and Panama or, or Colombia and Peru or Colombia and Argentina, you know, and, and that really there's major things, aren't there? I mean, customs-wise and uh, all kinds of things culturally, right? The foods, the dance, everything. So you can't really do one global idea and say, oh, it's like this, right? You can't do it. Is that right or not? Probably right. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah I'm surprised that like in the United States and probably in Spain, they have like Latin American literature and peninsula literature. Like they were two uh, countries. And then, <laughs> but it would make, it would, uh, yeah, like separating one country and then, 29, 18 or 19 yes, countries yes. at one. So, yeah, it's like, as I said, like, even from El to Guatemala, the first time I, I went to Guatemala, I was, like, shocked, like, oh, this is different, the geography, the dialect, the Spanish, they also speak Maya languages. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it is very different. Every corner, country has its own currency, Food, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 that's a great answer. Interesting stuff. Uh, let's go back, Juan Pablo. To I'm going to throw this out while I'm thinking about it. It's an interesting question. So somebody's teaching in high school, or you're teaching in college, and you've got some people in class. Let's say you got four or five people in class who really are. Uh, weak in grammar, but they love speaking the language, or they love the culture and speaking the language, 
but they're terrible grammarians, right? What happens mm-hmm. to those people? Do we do we know that? Or you guys probably have studied this a lot, but is anybody tracked what happens to these people? Like if they're in a high school class or college class, if they quit or they get frustrated because uh, they can't do the grammar, but yet there are some of them that can speak and do well, right, and get their points across, and they're not afraid mm-hmm. to speak. So is that a is that a problem for teaching? You think of world language, how we how can we manipulate that problem or get around mm-hmm. this issue? Juan Pablo, what yeah. do you think? There is always a great variety of levels at uh, these sections. I, I would say in the starting at the 200 is where you can start seeing that difference. Um, but yeah, uh, I always try to uh, reinforce the idea of preparing for class because many times they, they are like uh, observers in the class or skip classes. Uh, but it's really important to keep uh, doing the work little by little. I tell them that, you know, learning a language is like any other skill. You cannot get the skill a week before finals. You have to keep practicing during the whole semester. So um, I tell them that it's like a one-on-one correlation between doing your work on a daily basis and then getting well in the class, even if you start weak. Uh, you just have to keep trying and and, and, and uh, allow for some, um, you know, information that you are not sure about, but you keep you keep working. Uh, so, so if you listen to a clip and you don't understand everything, but you get the main point that this statement is true or, or true or false, that's it. Just keep moving. I mean, you don't need to understand every single word, um, but you but, just but, but, need to keep. Yeah, I moving. understand that. But what what about if people if, if let's say high school teachers or college, either one, and you got people mm-hmm. in your class that just can't get grammar. They just don't understand the grammar. And somehow, mm-hmm. miraculous, I don't know how you explain it, they can communicate, though. Or they like to speak. Mm-hmm. And if they say tiene instead of tango, right? Or, you know, or they say uh, tenemos instead of tango, right? Uh, but they get their idea across. Is there a place for that type of student that we should explore, you think, or not? I mean, do, do, should we have a, some more testing on that, you know, where we can keep those type people? I'm, I'm just wondering if they would, could survive, you know, and keep taking language and not have to know all the grammar things. Or there could be courses created, right, where, you know, it would just be a spinoff where you didn't do grammar a lot. Has that been tried? I don't even know if anybody's ever tried it. I don't know. No, I mean when I yeah when I see a weaker student, I, I always tell them to to see me, and and I have one one student right now who is, um, who I'm meeting with him almost every week, uh, so that I can uh, give him you know more examples and more practice, um, about that, um. But yeah, sometimes in class, uh, you just leave some of the mistakes uh, go as long as the student is, uh, you know, speaking and communicating so that they gain confidence. Yeah. But at the same time, there has to be a moment, you know, in which Where uh, they you, have to say, no, yeah. no, you have to correct. Yeah, it's like you have to, yes. to do it. You have to pay attention. You, right. It will be penalized. So, right. yeah, for example, we're looking at the predator right now and, and I tell them, you know, 
the platform, the digital platform from the book will penalize if you don't have the accents. And I will do in the exam. And you have to pay attention because it, it changes meaning. When you pronounce it, maybe it's not that big of a deal. We will get the information as long as you say ayer. But, you know, if you are writing, uh, yeah, it will be bad. So, yes. but yeah, um, yeah, I haven't seen a class. Uh, I just wondered, more. and especially probably at the high school level. That probably happens a lot more there. But the high school level and middle school, I think, is probably where it happens a lot. And I know some teachers do a lot mm -hmm. of testing, basically, and all they do is pretty much test grammar a lot, right, some of them. And, oh. uh, and I'm not sure even the speaking part gets dealt with enough. So, Alex, back to you. How would you answer that one? Same? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, as long as you can communicate, that's a good and you say, I don't want to say it's enough, but because uh, in real life, uh, you, well, I have friends who are not native speakers of Spanish with different levels, so, but in general, they are advanced, they can communicate, and when I'm speaking, and it probably happens with English, like probably I'm doing mistakes now that I'm speaking English, but you usually forget about that, and the, the other person forgets about that. Once, yes. Once, how much you communicate. I'm not thinking, yeah. oh, he's, he or she's making a mistake now. So uh, I forget yes. as long as there's communication. It's different when the student is in 101 and when they cannot handle a right. basic conversation, then you probably uh, block and then you start thinking about the mistake. But when I'm have students in my 300 level classes, the more advanced classes, or students or friends who are who have already learned Spanish, but maybe they do mistakes. Uh, yes. Usually, don't think about the mistakes. Uh, so I think it's a matter that the student feels motivated and uh, is able to communicate. And I don't think people in general will judge that. No. You know what I, I, I've observed, when I, and I used to take kids every summer or spring break, I'd take them to Mexico or Spain and uh, student groups, and we they were pretty big groups of kids. And anyway, what happened was, inevitably, you would get some grammarians who would go, and they really knew their grammar, right? They weren't quite as good in class orally, right? Then you get other kids go, that weren't grammarians at all. You know, they struggled with the grammar. They would get into the country and they had no, you know, they, nothing held them back. They just loved speaking, right? And as you said, and the nativos were just elated that some, some gringos, right, would be talking Spanish, you know? Some young kids, you know, and they're going, oh, this is really good. And they were elated, right? And they didn't, no, nobody cared if they made mistakes, right? A little bit with the grammar, you know, as long as you said they got their point across. So it, 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 it's kind of an interesting topic, right? I mean, it, you know how all that plays out sometimes in the country. So, Juan Pablo, back to you. Back. So, world languages, why are they important? Because, you know, in high school now, there's a, the teachers are trying to defend the study of world languages, right? So they keep the mm -hmm. programs, right, intact. And so they don't yeah. drop, especially French and German, right? It's not as popular at yeah. the moment as Spanish, unfortunately. Uh, 
and uh, we hope that someday they'll be equally as popular or more. So why is that, though? What, what can we do to stop that idea? I mean, the, the administrators think, um, oh, it's an extra. The kids don't need a language. And we have a lot of that view of sometimes uh, the idea that uh, you, you don't need to travel outside the country. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that, that idea can, does exist, right? And not everybody, of course, but there's there's some people that, that, that believe we don't need to travel and see other places and meet new people and learn about new cultures. What about that? Mm-hmm. I would say that lately one part that I'm enjoying of uh, a change that can make learning a language is in empathy. I think we, we sometimes see that um, we are... Um, looking at people reacting uh, very lightly of uh, serious uh, topics and and not caring much uh, about others. And I think that um, having this um, as a requirement, it's kind of a push to be more empathetic because what you have to do when you learn a language is to put on the shoes of someone else and how their world works, meaning their way of saying things, their vocabulary, their expressions, their routines. So everything, you know, you start to, through language, you start to understand the way of others behaving. Um, so that, uh, you know, something that you would say at the beginning, this is so awkward, this is weird, this is ridiculous, this is stupid. All of a sudden you are, you know, starting to make sense of, oh, Oh, that's how you do it, in, and why you do that, and oh, you have this word for that, and why do you have this word for that, and you know. So I'm I'm seeing that um, that is a big part that it's hard to measure. How would you say this person is really empathetic and gets you know uh, interested for real with someone else's emotions and feelings, and uh, who wants to make a, a you know a good environment in the work and getting along with everyone and you know um so i think that's one part of that i'm uh, i like and and when people is reluctant to to learn a language i see that uh it has to do many times with that with that issue of no i don't i just don't want to know about you or your situation it's just me me and myself uh, and that's why i, I would say that's a, a reluctancy of of, of that um, and fear, fear for what is different, uh, of a different line of thought, a different uh, routine, a different conceptual con- concept. Um, so that's part of like uh, the, the higher they, they have the, the, their um, their level, the, the deeper they they, they yes, you know, yes. You know, understand. Well said. Well said, Alex. What is, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I also think like besides the. And you say cliche that you're gonna find a better job. I also think that learning another language helps you learn about yourself because you there are many things you take for granted and then once you learn about other cultures then you learn also about yourself and your your own culture. Uh, also I think the satisfaction that you get when you learn another language, is priceless. I have never heard anybody complaining about learning. So, I mean, people who already speak a second language complaining about why did I learn 
this language. I think we all feel it's something that you don't that if you go back, you I, I think that most people or everybody will say it was worth. Uh, even if you don't get anything, at least that's my personal case. I don't regret. I um, I I know that for instance English, I use it. It's uh, I learn it and I use it. Uh, but I also speak French and I don't speak uh, French every day. But I don't regret. I love everything I have learned about the French culture and also in the case of Italian and German and. And I, it's the same with everyone. I, when I meet people who have learned Spanish or they know that I speak Spanish, they usually say, oh, I learned Spanish. I learned in high school. I never heard. Uh, I don't think anybody will feel uh, regret. No. Regretness no. about, oh, why? Yes, <laughs> yes. So exactly. it's something that is, for some reason, we all humans yes. love. Yes. Besides the other... Uh, yes, well, well said, brain. yes, well said. Uh, Alex, we're going to start with you. Now I'm going to do this one. Let's see if we can, we'll just do one of these, This uh, your favorite places to visit. Alex can start. And we'll do this one, uh, and we may do another one down the way here. But let's do this uh, pregunta en español, and you can hablar en español, so the listeners can get a taste of hearing somebody from El Salvador, and somebody from Madrid. Okay? You ready? Okay. Okay. Uh, Alex, um, ¿cuál es tu actividad favorita de este proceso de, de enseñar el español? Uh, me gusta cuando en las clases, cuando los estudiantes, cuando escucho a los estudiantes hablar español con nativos. Eh, en las clases de, de en las clases avanzadas muchos estudiantes usan una aplicación que se llama Talkabroad no sé si la conoces pero es una aplicación donde los estudiantes hablan con personas de España México entonces es como un podcast porque los estudiantes hacen una entrevista a una persona de, de Sudamérica Centroamérica España y practican cosas que ha, que aprendemos en la clase, en la clase. Entonces, esa actividad me gusta mucho. Me gusta escuchar las entrevistas eh, de mis estudiantes hablando en español. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you in English, could you tell the listeners who maybe don't didn't catch all of your español there about the app that you use that you really like? Yeah, one activity that I like a lot when I teach Spanish, especially when I teach my introduction to Spanish dialect, is that there's an application called uh, Talk Abroad where there are speakers from Spain and Latin America and then I assign homework to my students and they, there are several homework and then I ask them, uh, this week you have to interview someone from Spain. And then I give them a guide uh, with some questions that they have to ask. They have to practice uh, some words from Spain, grammar from Spain, uh, and then they interview this person from Spain, and then I can see, I can hear that conversation later. Now, is that again? What's the name of the app again? It's uh, Talk Abroad. Okay. Now, is that like, is that costly? Is it expensive? It's uh, it depends how many conversations you buy. I think it's like seven dollars per conversation. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the student, uh, you can choose fifteen minutes to mm -hmm. thirty or one hour. I usually 
choose 15 minutes. Okay, okay. It's a short time. And mm-hmm. I like it. And, and the students always write very good comments. Now, how do you, comments how, do you spell, how do you spell that in English? Talk abroad is como hablar en el extranjero. T-A-L-K-A-B-R-O-A-D. Talk abroad? Talk abroad. Abroad como en el extranjero. Okay, okay. Muy bien. Um, now, back to Juan Pablo. Okay, Juan Pablo. Ahora va a hablarnos en castellano, eh? <laughs> Juan Pablo, que nos viene de Palencia, que está muy cerca de Valladolid, el lugar donde dicen que hablan el mejor español del mundo, eh? Okay, Juan Pablo. Pues, eh, respecto a la actividad favorita, quizá algo que me gusta mucho es eh, juegos. Eh, siempre intento hacer algún juego para la clase, eh, ya sea tipo eh, Jeopardy, con preguntas y respuestas, eh, si sí, algún tipo de eh, actividad en el que la mitad de los estudiantes, o sea, eh, un estudiante tiene la mitad de la información y el otro estudiante la otra mitad y tienen que negociar para eh, completar la tarea. Entonces, sí, eh, salir de la, de la rutina de, de lo mismo, de completar párrafos y conjugar verbos eh, y hacer juegos, como hacer juegos. Eh, por ejemplo, para practicar los números les puse una imagen de, que no veían de, de, del juego donde está Wally y entonces le estaba cubierto por, por simplemente bloques con números eh, solamente el número y ellos me tenían que decir el número correcto en español para yo ir eh, revelando la imagen poco a poco y, y me decían si estaba Wally en esa, en esa sección que revelaron o no y entonces iban practicando los números del 23, el 38, el 25 entonces en vez de practicar con, con lo típico o, pues, pues lo intento hacer de alguna manera Yeah. Let, let's back up a minute. I'm going to go to English for the other languages that might be listening. Mm-hmm. One of the, the things that um, you mentioned here are games, right? And the game mm-hmm. thing is just, and uh, Alex, thank you for the, for the app and uh, letting the listeners know about that. That was very kind of you and appreciate it. Now, Juan Pablo, what about this game thing? And Alex, we'll come to Alex here in a minute about games. But games, it's interesting, isn't it? The role that games can play in language learning is huge, right? I mean, it really is. I mean, there's, you can do a game on, with vocab. You can do a game with verbos. You can do a game in comprehension, a game with speaking. I mean, there, there's nothing you can't do in the form of a game, right? But it does mm-hmm. add a different dimension when they, the kids get to play a game, right? You know, no matter what level, right? It could be middle school, high school, elementary school, college, and... If it's well thought out, games are very, very effective, don't you think, in language instruction? Because mm-hmm. there are some teachers that say, I don't yeah, want to yeah. do games, you know, and some of them don't, you know, it's not academic enough, you know. And um, early on in my teaching, I used to think that, you know, I'm not going to do games. But boy, as you, as you go teaching, you realize how important it is, right? I mean, it can make the whole environment mm-hmm. change and you know, about learning, you know, that the, where people want to yeah. learn and, and take it, you know, as, as, as being something that's enjoyable, right? And not so, uh, or fun, as we want to say. Uh, 
uh, sometimes people learn, you know, it can be fun. And when people learn, sometimes when they learn and have fun, they don't realize they're learning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, I, it's hard to explain that. But, you know, if you're having fun, you're learning many times, right? And sometimes yes. people do that and they go, well, I'm having fun. I'm not, le-, you know, because they're so used. To, maybe they had classes in their grade school or high school where they never did anything, you know, like that. Uh, so it, it really opens up the creativity factor, right? And I'm going to ask Alex mm-hmm. about this. Alex, what about teacher creativity? What does that mean, you know, creativity in the classroom? I mean, it's a great topic, and it's one of my favorite all-time topics in world language study, and that's creativity. And uh, what is that, you think, and how can we improve our creativity in the classroom? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a difficult thing because you constantly thinking about new ways so making a class more interesting and in a way that learn and, but also have a good time uh, or fun learning about the other culture. Uh, in my case I use a lot of technology, uh, videos and uh, uh, role play role play Activities and things like that. And again, okay. So, how do you think you can make a teacher be more creative or help them? How can you help teachers be more creative? Or do we don't do we do enough about creativity in teaching in world languages? Not just Spanish, all languages, uh, including in English language as well. But uh, do we really make? things creative as, as they could be or are we just you know are there other things we could be exploring I'm, that's what I'm getting at I guess this exploration idea you know where we're constantly trying to say hey let's do something different or let's try some different things is that good? Oh, yeah definitely uh, the, the other thing I think is that everyone is different some people have more uh, interest or um, they uh, they love creating things and others probably need more help and they need someone yes. to be so, a yeah. so I don't think all teachers have to do the same things because it depends on like in my case I, sometimes I spend like whole day just doing one activity about a song you know, or mm-hmm. A video, a YouTube video that I found, and but other people probably do other things like a game. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and that, so. and that, and and what you say is a good point, very excellent point. And what that means, I think, too, for the listeners is, you everybody has their degree of creativity, is which is what Alex I think is saying here. It, 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 he can correct me if I'm not right, but everybody has their same. I mean, this this love for creativity, right? I mean, I think it, it, we would all agree that our really good teachers that we had fun with, we did have fun with and we learned a lot. But uh, everybody is different. So, uh, and I think that's something we have to appreciate in each other, you know, that there are differences and things. But uh, again, where we can perhaps collaborate more, right, as a profession, right, with uh 
creativity mm -hmm. and sharing these things that we don't get enough, you know, we don't get to do enough sometimes. But it happens in all languages, as you said, in Spanish, and it's at all levels. This goes on, right, at all levels, you know, about the creativity factor. And uh, I know there are teachers that I remember over my career that all they did was the book. They just taught the book, you know. That's all they taught, the textbook. And it still goes on, <laughs> you know. There are people that follow that book, you know. And uh, they do very few games. They don't do songs in the classroom. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, that go on that, you know, probably we need to deal with more, right? And as, as a profession, I don't know how we're going to do that with the creativity factor, but it's certainly, it, it's certainly something we got to deal with, I think, eventually, you know, in the, in the teaching profession. Probably the same in every profession. It's probably the same way in science, math, right, history, everything. You know, how can we make these classes more live and fun, right? Like like real life, right? So, yeah, that I think that's good. Um, now, Juan Pablo, back to Juan Pablo. Um, technology in the classroom, where are we headed? Okay, so tell us about technology and how many minutes a day do you use technology in a classroom? So if you're teaching for an hour, let's say, 50 minutes, uh, mm -hmm. what percentage of that is all technology? Well, I always use the PowerPoint. So for me, mm -hmm. um, lesson plans, uh, you know, have uh -huh. been abandoned because everything I put it on a PowerPoint. Uh -huh. That's right. why right. I can use, the, you know, a, a quick uh, explanation uh, or a refresher. Mm -hmm. But what I like for, and related to creativity, related to that is, not providing everything there. So giving, for example, with uh, with the students lots of visuals and images so they can tell and speak what they think. So I'm not forcing them, you know, you have to use this verb, you have to use this subject, right. you have to use these things. It's like, based on these images, what would you say? Right. Or, well, write a sentence in the preterite right. related to that image, but it's not forcing you to, to do it. So yeah, I... And I, I would always go base that uh, in the classroom, but little by little, uh, I'm trying to, you know, um, turn it off a little bit. So, for example, in class now, if I tell them you have to write sentences, uh, then I turn off uh, once they they have seen the images. I turn off the, the screen and I ask them to go to the board uh, to write them down, and then go into different students and. Uh, ask them to read the sentences and correct them if they feel they have mistakes. So even though it, it, it guides kind of the class and it will be something that I'm using uh, all the time, uh, I also have some of these pause moments so that they, you know, work mm -hmm. with the language and use it uh, without having to look at the screen. But instead mm -hmm. looking at their notebooks, right. their board. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what about you? What, what would you yeah. say? Yeah, I think it's important, uh, and it depends on what you call technology. But uh, I think in my class, I try to do a variety of things, uh, from a little lecture to uh, a, a short PowerPoint presentation to sometimes a song or a YouTube video, uh, dialogue, acting. So it depends on the class. Uh, but I try that. 
So, but, and, I, and, I, and I like that really well, too, was following what Juan Pablo said. And I think Juan Pablo probably would agree with this. But, so you're bringing, not just the technology, but you're bringing the, the um, what is the word I'm looking for? The humanity of the law, right? So you're saying, okay, but you're here you're saying, maybe you get together as a group and you sing, right? Or you... You know, you're doing different activities. You might be in small groups, you might be in pairs, whatever, teams. But you're talking about that sometime they're coming together, right, socially. You know, where they're not just looking at the screen all the time. You have to bring them together, yeah. right, somehow socially, right, where there's some social interaction. Is that wrong? Is that what you, I'm understanding by what you said, I think. You know, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, it's important to bring uh, other materials that uh, don't need the the screen, mm -hmm. uh, such as uh, uh, the other day I created a, a handout that I printed for them. So even though we are using the book activities sometimes and also some uh, images or, or games in the board, uh, you know, in the, the the screen, but sometimes I just turn it off and then it's, okay, let's do this handout. Everyone stand up and walk around the class and find someone who, yeah, that type of thing is, is still very important. Right. And, uh, and mm -hmm. I know I've, I've go around occasionally and I'll go observe some of the high schools teaching going on around here and, uh, different classes in, in Spanish. And some of the teachers are really good at that and they'll bring in that social part, you know, where they're up and doing things and they're with each other and speaking or whatever. And then there's others, though, that don't. And some of them are, you know, boom, 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 boom. And the kids are always looking at the screen, right? Not looking at each mm -hmm. other, the screen, you know? That's the thing that I, I get concerned with sometimes, though, is, I mean, I think we have to be careful about the screen itself, right? I mean, it's like we're addicted to the screen, right? And we're addicted, and all of us, you know? And how many hours a day do we spend on the computer, on our on our social media, and all this stuff? And then after a while, you're going, whoa. And then it hits you, you're going, you know, I don't ever talk to any humans much. You know what I mean? I mean, it sounds silly, but it happens. And it isn't anybody's fault either. But, you know, we're always looking at the screen, right? And... And it's a huge amount now. I mean, it really is, even in the classroom. I mean, it's huge. And the kids do their assignments looking at the screen, right? And so, you know, is there is there enough social interaction? I guess that's my question sometimes. And I think we got to really work on that. Don't you, Do you guys feel that way too sometimes? That we need to have a little more social? Definitely, yeah. 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 Yeah, and especially with the language. With yes, language yes, exactly. Exactly, yeah. yes, yes. Um, now, so, uh, and now we're going to talk about something that, um, that the listeners are really going to be excited about, and that is we're going to talk about, first of all, we're going to talk about two books. And the first book that we're going to talk about is... Um, the book that you guys wrote together, right? And I want you to give us the name of the book, where the listeners can get a copy of the book when it comes out, and um, a little bit about the book itself, okay? And we'll start with uh, Alex this time. This is the one yeah. that you and Juan Pablo did, right? The book, okay. Yeah, this is a book about pronunciation in Spanish. 
and the five uh, called Mela. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure it's, where it, it, the, 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 the publisher is Cognela, right? Yes. And that's and C, is that C O G N E L L A? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Cognela Academic Publishing. Okay. So yes. if they wanted to get a copy, can they go to Cognella Publishing and order a copy? Yes. And the book will be available in this fall. So okay. I'm not sure what are the, if it will be available in Amazon or other okay. websites. I, I assume it will, but... Yeah, I'm sure, uh, they'll, 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 I'm sure they'll put it on Amazon, yeah. Too. yeah. And so, but, so what's the title? It's uh, la pronunciación del español. Okay, there. Introduction uh, to Spanish. Introduction a la pronunciación del español. Yeah, and it's by Alex Quintanilla and Juan Pablo Rodriguez. And can you give us some highlights about the book? Yeah, uh, the book is there. It's about, about phonetics and pronunciation. Uh-huh. But and there are many books about pronunciation in Spanish, but. I guess the difference with this book is that this is more, it goes to the point, uh, we do it for students uh, that are usually in uh, college or after they, they are studying Spanish. Uh, uh, not as a, they don't want to be linguists or professionals in, in uh, language, they just want to learn Spanish. And improve their... Improve their pronunciation, improve. right? Yeah, improve their pronunciation. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, most of the textbooks yeah. we have used, uh, they are, they want you to improve, but they also have a lot of information that is more important when you want to study linguistics or you want to go to graduate school, which is good, but it's not the case for most, most of the students we teach at public university. Most of the students, they just want to learn Spanish and Okay. Now, uh, Juan Pablo, what's your take on this book? Why do you think it's really a good book? But we did, uh, yeah, it's uh, less transcriptions, phonetic transcriptions, uh, and more practice. Uh, so, for example, we use that uh, space in the book uh, for drawings, uh, highly detailed drawings of the oral cavity with step-by-step guidance of how to get the sounds right. So I think that part is really important because sometimes it's just a description, like it's just an alveolar sound and that's it. But uh, the students need to visualize it and and give it a try. So we have pictures and drawings for the oral cavity and the front of the mouth. And also there are sections everywhere uh, throughout the book for concrete errors that students commonly make. Uh, and some tips on how they can um, they can improve with with some recordings for that. And there are so recordings, right, with the book. There are recordings. Yeah, there are recordings in the in the activities at the end of each chapter, uh, and also for those uh, text you know box sections that uh, we include. I believe it's a total of 13, 13 common errors uh, that are uh, that make a student sound very accented mm-hmm. um, and we emphasize like you know explaining why is it happening contrasting English and Spanish and uh, common tips of how you can improve it how to be so, aware of, of your mistake right. and, and avoid so, it. so yeah. what we're saying is that 
this book could be used by high school teachers, maybe, to help with their pronunciation, maybe, if they're not natives, and or it could help uh, students, advanced students, you know, SAT people in advanced classes, or college teachers could use it right in the class, correct? Yes. So, okay, we want to be sure that everybody is Cognela, uh, Cognela Publishing, and it's coming out this summer, don't forget. And then Alex has a book that he has done by himself on this one, right, Alex? What's the name of this book? Yes, it's a book. Um, about, it's also an introduction, but this time it's an introduction to Spanish dialect, Introducción a las Variedades del Español, uh, and it's by Sunderland. Now, now let's go back over. What's the title again? Introducción a las Variedades Lingüísticas del Español. Introducción a las Variedades Lingüísticas de Español. Yeah, which is an introduction. Mm-hmm. To and then, and then the the the, out, uh, the company is what the Casa Editorial. Peter Land. Peter Land. Land L A N D. Yeah, L A N G. L A N G Lang. Okay, so it's yeah. Peter Lang Publishing, right? Yes. And when is that and book going to be available? It's already available. Oh, it's available. Uh, last wow. summer, yeah, uh, you can buy it. In Peterland, or also in Amazon, and there's an electronic digital version okay. and uh, paper version. Well, listeners, be attentive that, on that one, too. We're very fortunate. These are two of the best guys around in linguistics. Uh, they're just phenomenal teachers and, and researchers, and and um, just get go out and get those books. You know, it'd be fun. Um, the... Um, what about your favorite memories of teaching, Juan Pablo? Do you have a favorite memory? Uh, as I said, you know, looking at the students uh, improving from semester from one semester to the other one, it's what I liked. Um, maybe um, a highlight uh, in recent years have been to have a blind student who has been extremely motivated and passionate for the class. Um, and help her, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to learn the language. Uh, so I have seen in, in her case, which, which I think it, it, sell, it served as a model to the rest of the students in the classroom, you know, that I'm making some accommodations. And they know, especially if they know me from other classes, like I'm doing something different so that everyone is, is, uh, is learning and having the same opportunities. Uh, but then seeing uh, her passion and how she can really communicate well in Spanish uh, despite the challenges. So I think that that really kind of uh, gave it a, a different perspective to the students and, and the, the, the sections were more motivated and, and, and you know, more appreciative of, of the opportunity of learning a language. So I would, I would say that was one of the great experiences I had at Butler to, to you know, have this student who really created a, a, a positive uh, atmosphere in, in the section. Now, Juan Pablo's had many students like this. He's being very humble here. He's being humble. He's has a lot of students too, that uh, not just one, but I know he's had a lot of people that have really enjoyed studying with him. And uh, the same goes for Alex. Uh, Alex, what about your favorite memory? Well, I like uh, 
every semester when I teach this pronunciation class, the students have an activity at the beginning of the class where they, I, I, I ask them to record themselves and talk about any topic they want, just introduce themselves. And my idea is to see what level of Spanish they have in terms of pronunciation. And then I ask them, ask the students like, again at the end of the semester to do the same, discuss the same thing. Uh, and also to watch their first video and criticize their own pronunciation and say the mistake they have. And then when I compare the two videos, you can see the improvement. Even sometimes you don't realize you, you still hear that the student needs to improve a little bit more than from the student. But when you compare the two videos, you also, you always do. Yes, beautiful. Yes, wonderful. Yeah, so I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so, um, I appreciate both of you being on the show. You've been incredible guests as always, and, uh, we look forward to having you back sometime in the future. So it just hope that we're still all in contact then and that we're, we will be of course, and, uh, that we've weave our way through the COVID situation, which we seem to be doing uh, little by little. Right. Um, and I want to thank you again for being on the show. It's been an honor to have both of you in the show and uh, wish you really well in the rest of the year and this summer and on your adventures. And uh, again, listeners, uh, if you uh, ever want to contact these two guys, they are both at Butler University uh, in the Modern Language Department. So you can look it up uh, on your uh, go on uh, search engine and look up the Butler University Modern Languages Spanish and you'll find these two guys. If you want to email them with questions about anything uh, and ideas that they have, uh, feel free to do so. I guess that's okay to say that, right guys? <laughs> I guess that's okay. All right, all right. So, um, but anyway, thank you again and we will see everybody soon. I think our next broadcast is we're going to hopefully be live Coming to you live, partially, I'll be here, but our guest is going to be in Germany, and uh, he's going to be talking to you from Germany. So that's coming up. That's going to be our next show. Everybody, have a great day. Thank you for listening. And be, again, please um, pass this on, the, the, the podcast and uh, the site and everything to your friends. And also subscribe, right? Okay, have a good day. Gracias, hombres. Que cuanta, cuanta ayuda, eh? Gracias. Okay. Muy buen día. Okay. Bye now.